on every test section or every test that your student is going to take throughout their schooling, there is reading involved, whether it's a math test or a science test or a social studies test, they have to be able to read and understand what they're reading. Welcome to the Generation Youth Podcast, where we ignite the future by empowering our youth. I'm James McLam, your host, founder, and CEO of Generation Youth, and the author of the best-selling book, Tomorrow's Youth. Whether you're a parent, an educator, youth pastor, or coach, join us as we dive into the pressing issues facing our young people today. Together, We'll unlock the strategies, insights, and inspiration to elevate and equip our next generation. Stay with us, and let's make a difference, one youth at a time. Jen, welcome to the Generation Youth Podcast. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you for having me today. I do so much value that you participated in our first, our inaugural Igniting the Next Generation Summit, which took place in the summer of 2023. For all of those people who are listening or watching this in the future, you will know when it is. So thank you for being a part of that this summer. Sure. It was fun. It was fun. Well, Jen, our audience would love to hear a little bit more about you, and it's always best for them to hear it straight from our guests. So if you wouldn't mind, take a few moments and introduce yourself to our Generation Youth audience. Absolutely. So my name is Jen Henson. I um, have been in education what feels like my entire life, starting with making my brother play school in the basement with the stuffed animals you know, as any good older sister would do and went straight into college and then straight into teaching high school English. I taught high school English for 22 years, really loved every day of that. I always tell people I had about four bad days of teaching. And so that's pretty good. That's pretty good percentages. How, how long were you um, in the classroom again? 22 years. 22 years. Wow. 22 years, all high school, all English, uh, dip, a few different schools, but 22 years. And along that path, one of my principals asked me to help a young man with his ACT test. I really didn't know what I was doing, but I helped him. I knew more than he did. Let's just put it that way. And it really ignited in me a passion to help other young people because that test was closing some doors for that young man. Mm. And uh, that did not sit well with me. And I knew I had the ability to help these young people. So I started really researching the ACT test. And that one thing led to another. And now I run my ACT prep business full time. Well, I was laughing when you said about the teaching. My daughter is in her second year of teaching. And when she and her younger brother is three years younger than her, and she was teaching him from the age of four on in exactly that same manner. Yeah. And I teach a parenting class at our church, and there's a lady in there who, second paternity leave, well, I don't know if she'll ever go back because uh, she's about to have her second child under three. And she was taught, sharing the story that when she was growing up, she did the same thing. So that must be very much a regular occurrence on that. So. It must be, 
you know, I really feel like so many people were made to be teachers in one mm -hmm. capacity or another, an educator or a teacher, whether that is in the traditional school setting or teaching in other capacities. And I guess it was just always in there and I had to get it out. My poor brother. <laughs> I was a high school teacher as well. I spent almost a decade in the classroom, not as quite as long as you for high school. I would say I probably had maybe eight bad days, man. <laughs> I would have a little bit more than that. And when you were thinking about that, the very first thought that I thought about, Jen, was my bad days were mostly uh, self-induced. Yes. They were things that I caused. And I can remember each one of those very vividly. And with a lot of time and distance, I can think about, oh, that was, that was my, uh, that was really my problem that was going forward. So you talked about how you got into test press and why there was a need for this young man. But overall, why do students these days need some assistance or do they even need assistance in helping with the SAT prep? Why is there a need for that? So, you know, the, the number one reason that people come to me for help is purely financial. There are so many opportunities to get what I call like college tuition coupons. Mm -hmm. So if your ACT or SAT score is a certain number, a lot of colleges and universities have a chart published where if you reach a certain number and you have a certain GPA, it is this many thousands of dollars off of your tuition. It is not need-based at all. It is simply, if you, if you fulfill these parameters that we have set established on the internet, there's a chart, then you receive this much money off of your tuition. So for a lot of families, it's called chasing merit money. That's kind of the term where families will seek out these opportunities to go to a school, but with a very substantial coupon applied to that college tuition. I, I was not, I was not familiar with that. That's kind of cool. Yes. So it's not every school. There are schools mm -hmm. and universities that don't have to give anybody any incentive to come to their school. There are some schools that are very well-known names that might be attractive maybe for a football reason mm -hmm. or a sports reason. And they want to attract those high academic students. And so they will put parameters in place that would attract those students because the student with a high GPA, high test scores, and I'm talking, you know, top three, 5% of scores, they can go to that college for free. Or I'm thinking of one and the students can get paid a stipend. Really? to attend there. So not only is it free tuition, room and board, but there's money given to them in their bank account every month. Wow. And that's based on these scores that they have. Cause when I was, when we were immediately thinking, talking about this prep, there's so many schools now that are, well, Maybe they're getting back into it, but we know as a result of the pandemic, they were saying, hey, they're not even needed uh, anymore. What What is the status of that? Because I know there's parents that are probably listening, maybe even youth that are listening. They're like, I don't know what's about to happen to me. You know, I'm a rising right. junior or, or I'm in my early part of my junior year. Why do I even be doing this? So what's the status of the whole S ACT, SAT uh, requirements? 
That's a great question. So definitely during the pandemic, there were two classifications involving tests. Well, three, really. We still require tests was how some schools stayed. Mm -hmm. You have to have test scores. There was a, a distinction called test blind, and that still exists today. Test blind means do not send scores. We will not look at them. We do not want your scores. We will be blind to them. Even if you send them, we will not look at them. So there's one whole classification of school out in California. The UC systems and the California state systems, they do not require scores. They will not look at scores. Do not send them scores. The other classification is called test optional. So test optional really became a way, and more and more data is coming out about this classification. It became a way that a student could, if they truly could not test, because there were areas that opened up very quickly. There were areas mm -hmm. that stayed closed down for testing. We had students that were, were flying to other parts of the country to take these tests because their part of the country wasn't offering them, et cetera, et cetera. So colleges became flexible in their application process and said, it's optional. Mm. If you don't want to send them, if you can't send them, don't send them. Well, I think what families saw from that classification was, oh, I can still apply to some place like Harvard and not need a test score. Well, great. Because knowing that my student would never have the test scores to get into Harvard, oh, we can apply there and maybe get in. But what research wasn't there yet, and now we're getting the data to see that although the application numbers rose, so, you know, thousands more students were applying to these schools thousands more weren't getting accepted. Right. So at $70 or $50 per application to get into these schools, I think it really benefits the university to say, oh, no, 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 it's optional. If you don't want to send in scores, financially, it's great for the university. But if a family digs into this piece of data called the common data set, and it is a report that every college and university has to publish. Now, whether they publish it very easily, easy to find, or whether it's kind of buried in their website, that's another story. But the common data set shows you the number of applicants, the percentage that were accepted, and what, what I think is is what really needs to be looked at in those numbers is the percentage that actually went to that university, hmm. the percentage that actually accepted the offer to go to that university and is attending that university. Because obviously colleges will accept a large a larger portion than what they need to go to that university. Not everybody that gets accepted is going to attend. So I think that's the number that the family really needs to look at is the number that are actually attending that university and look at their test scores and GPA and what does that student attending that college actually look like on paper.
to see whether or not your student would be able to go there and be accepted. That's intriguing. I, 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 my son was a junior in 2020. So he was a part of that class that really had more of a rough go at because they uh-huh. lost a third of their junior year and their senior year was a mess anyway you want to look at. It. And so they immediately didn't have the, you know, all the schools here in North Carolina that he applied to and let's see, University of Tennessee and some of the others, they all, I think, were either test optional or test blind. He didn't take anything uh, that was going there. there. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, controversy of what, what they were doing and going forward on that. But uh, do you think it is it, – it, so it's swinging back now to more schools are requiring it now? Or, you know, where are we at, you think? So there – there was a top tier school, MIT specifically, that was test optional for some time, two years, three years. I'm not really sure exactly how long. And they just last spring announced, we are requiring test scores again. Hmm. So it is kind of swinging back on the big ones. It is swinging back. I don't have those exact numbers, but even if the school still has that designation of test optional i what i know is that families because of people like me and others in my field who are saying look just because it's optional does not mean that you don't have to send them that's a great classification and a great name but it's very misleading So that you have a lot that have publicized and just said, I think to save themselves time, you know, you need test scores. You know, we're not playing around with that. Because what MIT was seeing was they had students that were not prepared to be MIT students. And that doesn't do the university any the university doesn't want a student just to come there for one year and then have to drop out because they can't handle the rigor of the university. That's very true. The university wants the student there for four years. They want them to graduate. I mean, it does not do the university any good to accept a student that they know won't do well there. So the trend is even if the classification that the university is using hasn't changed, I was just listening to another podcast this morning and it was a person who helps and advises families on college. And she, she said, if it says it's optional, it is not optional. (laughs) It is not optional. There is nothing that is optional. So you'll even have essays that are marked optional. No, no, it's not optional. (laughs) So what are the benefits that a family can expect from enrolling their their child in a program like this. Sure. So in addition to a higher test score, which can mean a coupon towards mm-hmm. tuition. I mean, I think that that's the best way to look at these merit scholarships. I like that coupon. I, I like that concept that kind of uh, put things in a different perspective for me. Uh, I, and I like that. That would have been nice to have known when my oldest two were getting ready for this. Well, I think that there's a misconception about scholarships that that they are need based, mm-hmm. you know, or my family won't. Uh, we're not going to fill out the FAFSA because we're not we we make too much money to get any college scholarships. But there are scholarships that have nothing to do with 
the financial need of the family. So that's what these merit scholarships provide is that the student can reach these test scores and has a certain GPA. There could be other criteria associated with it. I'm not sure what that would be, but most of the charts will say GPA and test scores, mm. but it is automatically put onto their account or taken away from their account. And they can keep that scholarship as long as they keep a certain GPA throughout the, the school. I had a merit scholarship when I went to college that was for half off of the tuition. Wow. And so I had to keep a minimum GPA. It wasn't that hard to keep. It was very reasonable. And I was able to keep that all four years of college. So a student, a family can look forward to that. A student might need tutoring just to get accepted to the university. They might okay. know a certain school they want to get, they want to go to that you cannot get into that college with below a 28, 29 on the ACT. So families will contact me for help in just admissions to a certain university. Auburn is a big one. I get lots of calls for students who want to go to Auburn University. Really? Because then you cannot, it's not test optional. You have to have a certain score or you're not going to be admitted to the university. And there are many others in that situation. You know, really even just to review some of the basic information from school I think with the way education is going now, a lot of these things that students do are on the computer. They're catching a lot of things for them. And some of those basic communication skills, grammar skills are going by the wayside. And that's a lot of what I review with students every day. I teach the difference in how to use who and whom every day. I'm bringing that up and reviewing that with students or teaching it for the first time because they don't have to know it. The computer will fix it for you. That is so true. That's so true. And I, and I want to come back to that on, on the rise of technology and what it, what it would do. And what it made me think of when you said who and whom uh, is that I really learned that from my college roommate whose mother was an English teacher. And he could not, he said, I don't mean to be anal guys. He said, I'm not that way. He said, but 18 years, I heard, I was corrected. My brothers were right. corrected. He says, so it's ingrained in me. He says, so if you use it wrong, it has to come out. I have to, he says, and I don't mean to say it, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's what I know. I was like, well, it doesn't bother me. I mean, right. The relate, one of the things that I hear as someone who coaches youth from a different perspective from, from, you know, being a life coach that works with them on that is that parents are concerned about the way that testing impacts their mental health. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, both as a teacher and as a test prep person, what are your thoughts on that? We are seeing, you know, I don't think there's any denying the fact that mental health for youth now is a greater concern than it was in previous uh, decades. So what are your thoughts uh, about that? And how would you, how would you address that topic? Well, I know that with my students, every week they're seeing small successes. Mm -hmm. So with my program, students have to do homework. They have to answer questions and we track, well, you started at, let's say on English, missing 50 on the test. This week you've only missed 40. 
Wow. I mean, that's big. That's a huge improvement. So we, we talk about how can we get five more right next time? So it's these small successes. So every week is a win with my program. Even though that first attempt at that test might not have been their goal or it might have gone poorly or however you want to word it, we do a lot of work with finding the common thread that shows up on every test, which is how I started helping my first student. I didn't know anything about the ACT. I had taken it, but I took it once mm-hmm. and I used that score. And so I started to see repeated questions. I started to see things that they asked every test. And so making the students familiar that this is going to show up every time and you know how to answer it because you've answered it eight times on homework is part of making them comfortable with that. So I get a lot of parents who reach out and they'll say, my child is a horrible test taker or my child has test anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think that they use, some of them use that phrase just to mean my student doesn't like these tests. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I never heard that. I started teaching in the early 90s and we didn't hear that very often in the classroom mm-hmm. then. I never heard about test anxiety. Certainly as a child in the 80s, there was no such thing. As, if, you, if I had said to my English teacher, hey, I'm having some anxiety over this test, I mean, I'm pretty sure she would have chewed me out. And, and uh, Right. Miss right. Evans wouldn't allow that. She might have even swatted my hand or something. She was, <laughs> yeah, who knows what would have happened. It would not have been good if I had done right. that. <laughs> and I'm not saying right. that we were tougher. It was just a different world at that point in time. Uh, so. Right. And, you know, I am sure because I have helped students who do have test anxiety, it is clinically diagnosed. They are in treatment for it. That is certain. There are other families that have just labeled their child Mm. that they get anxious. So in kind of digging into that, I will ask, well, do they pass their tests at school? Are they failing all of every test they take that they're failing? Well, no, they can do the ones at school. Okay. Did they pass their driving test? Yes. Okay. You know, so we start to really have conversations to see, and, and tr- sometimes the answer is they fail every test. They they haven't taken their driving test yet because, you know, then I refer families to see their physician, you know, because there are things that medical things or clinical mm-hmm. things that, that can help. But otherwise, there are ways to see that these standardized tests are just that standardized. It's the same information that is asked about every time this test is given. And we can find comfort in the repeated information. Mm. Yeah, I really like your approach. It's more of a holistic approach of helping them to see, you know, these small wins every week, right. um, which which is really going to build confidence. It's really going to help them go forward on that. Because I do think that some of this, and, may, and I would curious to see if you're agreeing with me on this, is some of the anxiety over testing is because we talk about there's that chatter around the stress of coming with tests. So it's almost like, you know, we're setting them up to be, I never had, you know, that kind of things. I was not 
a brilliant student, but I tested really well. I mean, I, I did extremely well on my SATs, you know, coming out of high school. I only took it once because I got the score I wanted. I knew I was going to be able to go where I wanted to go. And then I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? Right. Which in turn, when my school got the results, I had a little, I had a, a called meeting with the uh, math uh, head of the math department. They was like, uh, and I was like, what? I did really well on this. They said, yes, you did really well. You did exceptionally well. Matter of fact, you did the best of anyone in your class on this. You doubled your English score on this. Let's talk about your grades now, Mr. <laughs> right. So, right. So, 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 but I do feel like there's some of that chatter about the anxiety of this that causes stress among youth. How, how, can, how can parents help prepare them better for this, for testing? What tips would you have if a parent says, hey, what can I do at home? You're doing great stuff when they come to you, but what can I do to reinforce what's going on to you? Or maybe for a parent who has not chosen to do this kind of programs, what can they do? You know, a couple of tips that they can help on this. Because I, I think there's probably somebody listening that's going, I want to know now, what can I do today? So. Right. Well, one of the things that helps is encouraging your child to read. Mm. I mean, it, you know, if your listeners have little tiny children, read to your child. Read to your child every day, every day, every night, so that the reading in, because on every test you are reading, on every test section or every test that your student is going to take throughout their schooling, there is reading involved, whether it's a math test or a science test or a social studies test, they have to be able to read and understand what they're reading. And so at every grade level, if you can encourage your student to read, that would be helpful because that's going to be a skill that will translate to these higher tests. I think as a parent, I would tell parents not to have an unrealistic expectation of where their child will, will perform. So I know that that causes some anxiety in students that, you know, the family will say, of course, you might get X, Y, or Z score. And then when the student gets their score back and it's not anywhere near that, well, they've already really disappointed in their mind, disappointed their parents. Yeah. So, and it's partially due to grade inflation. There are huge studies on grade inflation right now. I have a chart in my inbox that I haven't done anything with, but a friend actually did a, a TikTok about it, but the the number of students that are entering college with like an, an A average or a 90, you know, 5% average from high school, something like 77% of students that are entering college have an A average from high school. That seems really high. You know, when it, Jenna, it's funny that you say that because... Uh, as a result of the pandemic and, and watching, being sitting at home, I, I was watching old family sitcoms. And specifically the one that I watched the most was like Leave It to Beaver. Remember Leave It to Beaver audience? Yeah. You heard me talking about this. And one of the things that I noticed was in the late 50s, early 60s, the writers did not have a problem with students that, that were considered the top of this school setting having C's 
oh, you know, having said, and then you're occasionally getting a D on a test and it wasn't the end of the world. And the immediate thought that I thought about was that would never happen today. No, there was no way a sitcom would have a kid on there that was supposed to be the top having anything less than an A. A low no. A would they would freak out about. It. And now that, you know, they got Wally and Beaver having C's and still going to the university of their choice to be engineers. That's not going to happen. So I agree with right. you on that. Right. So, uh, you know, I think that there's some pressure mm-hmm. from families that the student feels like out of the gate, they have to have their first score has to be a certain level. So then the second one that they get, once they get some assistance from someone like me or self-study or, you know, whatever means they use, then will be, you know, a top 1% score. Ooh. But but those tests are created so that the top 1% gets the top 1% score. You know, you can't extra credit yourself into having a good ACT score. Like you can extra credit yourself into having a high score in English. Hmm. And, you know, in education, there are, classes and schools and and whatever that allow bonus points or grade padding for bringing in tissues or school supplies or things that have nothing to do with a student's knowledge or academics. Mm -hmm. So that just doesn't happen on the ACT. So from a college and university level, if you have a student applying that has a four, let's just say a 4.0 GPA, or you have two students applying who have a 4.0 and you have one that has a test score to back that up. Let's say that student has a 30 on the ACT, which is not perfect, but a 30 is a great score. It's out of 36, so it's still a top score. And then you have the other student who didn't doesn't send any scores. Well, I think if I'm the university, if those are the only two criteria I'm looking at, but there would be others, of course, mm-hmm. outside interests and extracurriculars and things. But if I'm just going on those two things, I'm going to pick the student that has that test score to back up that 4.0. Because with grade inflation or just the disparity in schools, a 4.0 at one school and a 4.0 at the school down the street don't mean the same thing. Right, right. Especially di- not not to mention different school systems or different states. Which Correct. Again- Even down the hall at the same school. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about when you were in the classroom, when I was in the classroom, I had a different expectation in my room than people down the hall from me had. You know, and it's luck of the draw, what teacher you get, <laughs> how the... How the, you know, scheduling system now it's done by a computer. It wasn't when we first started teaching. It was hand done. But now it's who the computer puts you with. So, you know, there's the the test scores back up what that grade point average shows or doesn't show. So if we got families listening, your advice and, and encouragement to them would be go ahead 
and take this, even though we've had this period of time where it's been widely publicized that you don't need the scores anymore. You would encourage them to do this just, if nothing else, to validate their experience in high school. Sure. And there were a couple, there are a couple other reasons for testing that I didn't mention yet, which is uh, certain dorms, like honors programs at colleges. If you have certain test scores, you can get into honors programs. Honors programs, I remember I received the letter when I was going to, to college and I threw it away because I just, what does that mean? Well, I wish I would have done it now because, or, you know, back then it allowed those students could schedule their classes first. They got to, they got to be in certain dorms that were nicer and those rooms were taken first. So your student can get in, you know, not only the scholarship, but in an honors program an honors college within that college or university for sorority recruitment. One of the things I learned is that top houses and sororities and that changes by university, but top sororities will, will want Greek life applicants to have certain test scores. Hmm. And so you have to have top scores to get in the top houses. Um, another reason that you would want to have a test score is for some majors. There are some majors, so you can get into the university, but you can't get the major you want without a test score. And especially see that in STEM fields. So your science and your math and your engineering will want to see certain minimum math test scores. Um, I had one family that also, they were, they were a family of triplets, triplet boys. Um, they were all engineering majors and they came to me for help to get into the college they wanted to go to. But as part of that process, they, they scored nearly perfect on English, 35 out of 36, all of them. Wow. I must have spent a little bit of time on that English with them, but 35 out of 36. And when their dad went to, when they went to enroll in college, the uh, advisor pulled up their scheduling and saw their test scores and said, well, none of you have to take English. You all get A's on your transcripts for two English classes because of your high ACT English score. So the dad called me as they were leaving that university and said, thank you. Like we had <laughs> no idea, but you just saved us six college classes worth of tuition. I wish I'd have had someone teaching me a little bit better <laughs> on, on my English. I tell you though, with the test an inverse situation is that my scores caused North Carolina State University to want to put me in a math class that I was not sickly excited about. And uh, I had to get my academic advisor to go and tell him, hey, he's not going to need this long term for the great for the degree that he's getting. Because I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to see this at all. I had that same situation happen. And I had to meet with the dean. Yeah, I was not very excited about it. And uh, yeah. Oh, and then beside the, we're telling anecdotes now, audience, if you'd like to tune out for a second. <laughs> uh, but the other thing was, is that a, a class got inadvertently put on my schedule that I didn't enroll in. And I had to go to the associate dean in my department, uh, the college that I was in, to get it 
withdrawn. And the very first thing he did is he brought up my schedule, brought up my GPA in school, and brought up my test scores. And the very first thing he said was, oh, you do have real high math scores here. Would you tell me what the uh, square root of three is? And I was like, all I want you to do is drop this Spanish class that showed up on my schedule that I never enrolled in. because I rode late in another class that was given the same hour and had similar numbers. And that's how it happened. At least what, why do I need to tell you what the square root of three? Okay. Well, do you know when George Washington was born? I'm like, what, what is, what, what is, what does this have to do? Apparently it's the <laughs> same number. 1.732. Oh, um, so now I know that and I have never forgotten it. So little bit tidbit of information there that you didn't think you were going to get on today's podcast of the generation <laughs> as we go forward on this. So I, I'm really encouraged to hear that there are some values still in this because I do believe that there are some families that as they are approaching that junior year, they're starting to think, I don't necessarily have to do this. Um, and so I, I do love what you're sharing with them and the value. And I love your first tip on encouraging reading because um, it was like, you know, we take that for granted, but it is such an, a significant, I mean, it's like a self-education aspect to it as well. If they right. learn to read, they can learn to do so many other things. Yeah. If they love reading, it will propel them to do uh, things well on that. Um, so how is your program a little bit different than others? If they wanted to connect with you, uh, and learn about yours. What is make sure is a little bit different. So one thing is that myself and all of my assistant tutors. So I have trained some fabulous women with whom I used to teach. We are all certified teachers. So I believe that I had the most class classroom experience at 22 years. And it ranged down to another young lady was in the classroom about 10 years, which Anything over seven, you've figured it out. You've made it, you know, the first two are a little bit of a struggle for a lot of people, but at seven or beyond, you have figured it out. So all of my tutors are certified teachers, which also helps with test anxiety or learning differences that we encounter, even just um, helping a student understand why we're learning something, really reteaching it. You know, as part of being in the classroom, you might have to teach a concept five, six different ways for all the light bulbs to go off over everyone's head. And so we have the ability to do that because we've been there and done that. Mm -hmm. My program, the sessions are very short. They range from 45 minutes to an hour. Versus I know there are some other programs where the students sit for two or three hours, eight. There are some programs where, where it's eight hours of learning. Oh, if you're listening, you need to go to the video because I'm just cringing over here. (laughs) So that's another way that my program is different. You know, we work very hard during those 45 minutes. The students do a lot of work. Then they have time to practice what they learn during that 45 minutes. Over the course, we require homework. That's another thing that's different. And then there's like a three strikes and you're out 
kind oh, wow. of policy. See, where... I like that. It's not just hey, as long as you keep paying me, I'll keep I'll keep uh, throwing you some information. You got to do it yourself. I like that. That's right. Yeah, I have turned families away that I didn't think were the right fit for us. You know, one thing is that my tutors are at different price points than I am, which is nice. So you still are getting the same methods and information, but we can offer it at a range of prices for different economic needs. Mm-hmm. And we won't keep a student on who's not doing their part of the work. It's just not benefiting anyone. Mm. Because there's, they have to practice. So it's just like athletics. It's just like piano. It's just like anything in life. If you are going to get better at it or you're going to master something, you have to put in the time and the work. It isn't just magic. I love I love that. And I love that analogy uh, that I don't think many are going to think about when it comes to this test prep is that it's the same as if practicing for a sport or practicing mm-hmm. for an art. You have to put the time in in order to be good mm-hmm. at it. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's very good. Jen, how can our audience uh, connect with you guys in the best way to learn more about what you do and maybe even schedule a time to to see if it's the right fit for them. Sure. So my website, www.jenhensenactprep.com, has a lot of information on it. It might be too much information, but there's a whole section of blogs that answer a lot of those questions for families about, well, when should my child test? What are the differences between the two tests? Where can I register for these tests? So I have a blog that parents can go to anytime. I have just, if I get a a question from families over and over again, I answer that in a blog so that parents can reach that. If they happen to be signing their student up for the test at 11 p.m. and they feel like, oh, I need this answered, they can go to my website and get most of their questions answered. It also talks about my program, a little bit more of a bio about me. That's the easiest way. And there's there's a contact me link through there that they can send me some information. They can set up a time to schedule with me. Um, I can send them more information. So there's a lot to read through. And um, and I pride myself in really educating families about what is right and isn't right. You know, if a parent calls me and they want one-on-one lessons, I might say, well, I think that they might benefit from the group that might be half of that price or less than that price, or vice versa, a family who really needs one-on-one help, the student has very low score, will want to go in our group. And I won't allow it because I just think that student isn't going to do well. virtual options as well? So all of our classes are taught live. We don't record anything. Um, if the student can't re- uh, mm-hmm. attend the class and, and interact with us, so they have to send us answers, they ask questions, it, even um, in the group uh, setting, in person or it's all live taught. Oh, okay. All right. Both. Yes. Yeah. So we have Zoom and uh, FaceTime options, as well as um, I still meet people in person. So who our audience, me, if they're all the way in Anchorage, Alaska, well. they, could, they could sign up and be a part of this as well. I have a student in Anchorage, well, Alaska know, right now. That's the person and I am that in Houston, signed Texas. up for the VIP for the... Uh, so, that's the reason it came to mind, as that was one of the last people that signed it for the VIP for the Ignite <laughs> thing was somebody from Anchorage, Alaska. So, uh, Oh, really? 
I'll tell you offline. Uh, That's so funny. Don't mention the name who hey, it was. maybe it was. Jen, thank you so much uh, okay. for your time today. And audience, if you're interested in the information, contact. If you look at our show notes, if you're listening, go to your app. If you're watching, just look down in the notes. We'll have all those links available for you and any social media uh, links as well. So just you can connect with them and, and learn more about you. But thank you for your time with us today. And listen, audience, if you've stuck with us this long, you, you obviously James. found a lot of value in what you're listening. So please like and share and comment on this. Share it with someone you know, because someone that you know needs this information and would benefit greatly from it. And we'll see you again next week on the Generation Youth Podcast. And there you have it. Another impactful episode of the Generation Youth Podcast. To all of our listeners out there, remember to hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Want to be a part of the Generation Youth community? Follow us on all of our social media platforms. We'll keep you connected with all of our upcoming episodes and inspiring initiatives. You're not just a listener here. You're a catalyst for change. Together, we're building a future filled with promise, potential, and endless possibilities. This journey is just starting. So keep tuning in, keep growing, and let's continue uplifting our youth one episode at a time. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, let's keep sparking inspiration and igniting the future.